Father, we do pray that you would speak once again. We pray for somebody who's coming in searching, uh, someone who's a skeptic, uh, who wants nothing to do with you. Uh, we thank you that they're here um, to hear something about uh, who Jesus is. Uh, so I do pray, uh, as Homuto prayed, uh, that you'd help me speak with clarity that Jesus would shine and not us. Uh, and that we would recognize him as king and as lord. So I do pray, Father, uh, for lives to be transformed, for your word to come out, uh, and for Jesus to be magnified. Uh, this we pray for our sakes um, and for, uh, for his good and for his glory. Amen. I don't know if you remember these words, um, these words from 2008. The ANC will rule until Jesus comes back. How many of you remember those, uh, those words? Some of you were not born uh, in 2008, but those were the words of uh, the general himself, uh, the president, former president, Jacob Gedlechegiza Zuma. Um, he says that they love saying this name, Zuma. And it was, um, it was a confident speech, co- confident um, thing that he said. The ANC will rule until Jesus comes back. I wonder what you may think um, of that. I think either for good reasons, bad reasons, this is by far my most memorable thing that somebody who's a South African said about Jesus. Now, moving from South Africa to the world, um, what's the most famous thing uh, that somebody has said about Jesus? Uh, Well, around 1966, uh, there was this happening band called uh, Beatles. How many of you listened to the Beatles? Few of you. Um, so they probably one of the best bands uh, ever to exist. Uh, and in 1966, they were at the hype of their career. And one of their members uh, said in an interview that we are more popular than Jesus right now. Listen to his words. Christianity will go. Uh, he was referring to the UK. It will vanish and shrink. I needn't argue about that. I'm right. And I will be proved right. We are more popular than Jesus now. I don't know which will go first, rock and roll or Christianity. How many of you still listen to rock and roll? Well, it has faded. Christianity has remained uh, uh, alive and active uh, to this day. Now, back to our own country. Um, in 2013, there was a man called Moses Longwani from KZN. Uh, this man claimed to be uh, Jesus himself. Uh, he claimed that he spent 40 nights or so and 40 uh, 40 days uh, fasting and praying uh, and calling people uh, to come worship him uh, as king. Now, if you read the articles there, you see that a few people actually followed uh, him. Sadly, uh, some people gave their pension money uh, to this king of kings and lord of lords, uh, Baba Klongwani. He calls himself Yeshua ben Yosef. I don't know if there's a person in history who receives as much attention as Jesus does. Um, some use his name in the movies as a swear word. Some take offense in that. Uh, some have, people have done atrocious things in his name. Some have done amazing things in his names, name throughout uh, history. Um, some claim to be him, like Mr. Songwani, And some to be, claim to be greater than him, uh, like uh, this guy who said, he was more famous than Jesus. Some of us are more spiritual. Um, so during a sleep paralysis, um, how many of you have had a sleep paralysis? 
What name do you shout during a sleep paralysis? The name of Jesus you shout. Um, for those who don't know what sleep paralysis is, uh, please go Google that. Um, but sleep paralysis um, is a thing. And in our subconscious somewhere, it was ingrained that if you shout the name Jesus, if you use it uh, as a, a name, it will rebuke any demon that would come your way. Amen. Um, in fact, uh, so much uh, did we believe in this uh, idea of Jesus protecting us uh, that in every black home across South Africa, uh, there's probably maybe five out of ten homes uh, have this picture of white Jesus uh, looking slightly hungry uh, with the heart just around him looking all holy. Uh, his white face hangs on that, hall, and on that wall uh, promising us that he will give us protection. Um, that is the kind of picture that I grew up with uh, of Jesus. There was a blue and white picture of him uh, at our house. And it, was, it had faded, but we trusted uh, that the King of Kings and Lord of all Lords uh, protects us. I think almost everyone you talk to loves Jesus, uh, but not a lot of people know his teachings uh, or know what he is actually about. I think no matter who you are, or what you believe, Jesus is too big for you to ignore. Um, so let's start there. Um, that Jesus is too big um, for us to ignore. That's um, common ground, whether you're a Christian or, um, or not. In fact, a non-Christian magazine in 1999, at the dawn of the new millennium, this is what they had to say about Jesus in an article titled, 2,000 Years of Jesus. This is what they had to say about the influence of Jesus throughout history. They say that 2,000 years later, the centuries themselves are measured from the birth of Jesus of Nazareth. As the second millennium draws to a close, nearly a third of the world's population claims to be his followers. How crazy is that? Uh, that this uh, meaningless preacher from uh, a town um, out there in the middle of Palestine uh, who worked as a carpenter who never really had a university degree, who wasn't that impressive. In fact, when he died, uh, he only had 11 of his friends, and those friends uh, ran away from him. Uh, he never went to Rustenburg to experience glory. Um, but this preacher, uh, that at the dawn of a new millennium, almost a third of the world's population, uh, that is what, one out of three people, claim somehow uh, um, an allegiance to um, to him. Listen to the article as it continues. It says, remember, this is not a Christian article. By any secular standard, Jesus is also the dominant figure of Western culture. Much of what we n now think of as Western ideas, inventions, and values finds its source or inspiration in the religion that worships, worships God in his name. Art and science the self and society, politics and economics, marriage and the family, right and wrong, body and soul, all have been touched and often radically transformed by Christian influence. Seldom, all at once, of course, not always for the better. So you might be here this evening, uh, you're not a Christian, or you might be spiritual. Uh, you think that uh, the name Jesus is the name that you shout when you are in trouble. No matter where you come from, I think it's hard to uh, put Jesus uh, out of the picture. And I guess the question that we want to ask then, if we all agree that he is too big to be ignored, is 
Well, what then do we make of uh, Jesus? What do you make of, um, of Jesus? Uh, if we, he were to come to Midland in 2020, um, what would you make of him? What are some of the things that he would say to us and to our culture as Midland? Um, have you ever thought about that? Um, one, one of the things that you discover when you read the Gospels, uh, when I say the Gospel, I mean the accounts of the life of Jesus. There's, that is Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, the first three uh, Gospels are called the Synoptic Gospels. Uh, and the idea is that they were, they were writing and using each other's material. It is said that Mark was the first one to write an account of the life of Jesus. Uh, and the rest of the guys uh, took uh, some material uh, from Mark. So as you read the Synoptic Gospel, uh, you'd realize that one of the things that Jesus did as he walked around was that he did a lot of preaching, and he preached about this idea called the kingdom of God. Um, He said that the kingdom of God was at hand uh, uh, in his coming, um, that he represented uh, this coming of the kingdom of God, and we're going to discover what we mean by that. So he he goes around preaching, as we saw, if you look at verse 17 of chapter 4. Have a look there. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven um, is at hand. We're going to see that later on as to what he means by that. Um, but in other words, if, he, if this man, Jesus, were to come into Midrand, uh, he would go around preaching. Uh, he would go around different places by boulders, um, he would start uh, preaching there uh, and talk, talk, talking to people about the, the kingdom of God. Um, I think the reason why we titled this uh, series, If Jesus Came to Midrand, it's not so much that um, it's a cool title. I think it is cool. Um, but the idea is to have you think that actually Jesus was a person. Jesus actually walked the street. He lived with people. Uh, he had meals with them. Uh, he went around preaching. He was an actual human being who lived in history. And if he were to come to Johannesburg, if he were to come to Midrand, I think some of us would be, most of us would be shocked um, as to uh, the kind of person he is and the shocking stuff that he used to stay to say. So just picture him uh, coming from uh, Pretoria on the Hau train. Uh, he gets off at uh, the Hau train station uh, takes an Uber to Mark and Bean, and he has a coffee meeting with you, uh, just to outline to you what the kingdom of God uh, is about. What would his message be to you? 2,000 years um, ago, uh, as Jesus was preaching, as he was walking the street, he was presenting a message that is countercultural. Uh, it was different to the culture that he lived in, uh, it was different to the religious uh, system that he, uh, he found himself in. Uh, in fact, on the Sermon on the Mount, which you find in chapters 5, 6, and 7, you'll hear him often saying, uh, you've heard it said, such and such, but I say to you, such and such. Uh, he came and turned the world upside down. His message was a political message that said that God is king, And if God is king, then you are not king. Uh, I'm not king. Uh, God is enthroned uh, on 
uh, is sitting on his throne and he should be king over your life. Uh, that was Jesus' message uh, to a culture that had forsaken God. And I think that would be his message to Midrand, uh, that God is king over Midrand and you and I um, are not kings. But when you think about a countercultural message, when you think about Christianity, it often sometimes feels like the Christian faith is standing outside of culture and saying, yeah, look at you guys, uh, sinners, you need to change. <laughs> but not so with our Lord Jesus. Uh, if you read the story of Matthew, you realize that he's born of, the, uh, of a virgin, uh, chapter 1. He's baptized uh, with sinners um, because he wants to identify with sinners. Uh, but every now and again in the gospel, um, the gospels, uh, you'll see that the gospel writers want us to know that this man, being born of a virgin, means that he was different from us, uh, that there was no sin in him, yet at the same time he would be baptized uh, by John uh, at the Jordan. Why would he do that? Well, he was identifying himself uh, with sinners. He was saying, I'm with you guys. Have a look at, if you have your Bible, uh, please open it to chapter 9, verses 10 uh, and 11. This is what he was often accused of. Chapter 9, uh, verses 10 to 11. This is what they said um, of him. And Jesus, as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, uh, firstly he goes into Matthew's house. Matthew was a tax collector. He was a corrupt politician. And as Jesus reclined at the table in the house, behold, many tax collectors, many uh, corrupt politicians and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus uh, and his disciples. Verse 11, And when the Pharisees saw this, they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? The Pharisees, the religious guys, had a problem with this Jesus because he was hanging around uh, people that you and I uh, would not hang around or they would not hang around. They didn't uh, esteem these people to be pure. Jesus, if you are a godly man, why would you hang around uh, tax collectors um, and sinners? And Jesus responds in chapter 11 uh, to these claims, uh, to this accusation that he hangs around sinners. Um, he says, what do, you, what do you guys want? John came to you preaching. He was a weird guy. Uh, he ate locusts, stayed in the desert. And you said you called him a, a crazy guy. But then verse, chapter 11, verse 19 The son of man came eating and drinking, and they say, look at him, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. What do you guys want? John came and you called him a weirdo. I'm coming, uh, preaching a message similar to him, and you calling me uh, a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors um, and sinners. One of the things that we see uh, about of the nature of Jesus uh, is that he wants to hang out with those people because those are the people that he wants to bring into his kingdom. Amen. Just think in your head for a minute. What kind of person do you think Jesus would not hang around? You don't have to say that loud. Um, I think Jesus, if he were to come to Midrand, he would hang out at News Cafe on a Thursday uh, with guys who start their weekend on Thursday. Um, he would just be there, being among them. Uh, he would be at the happening spot in Midrand, um, 
I don't know where those happening spots are. I'm told that recharge is the, the place to be. Um, Jesus uh, would be there. The Jesus of the Bible, particularly in Luke's gospel, has a compassion towards the poor and the marginalized. Uh, so this Jesus uh, would be hanging around with those guys on a Monday. Do you see those guys who uh, collect rubbish from the bins? Do you guys actually see them? Do, do we actually see them? Um, or is it just like, no, those are, I'm, I bet you when I drive in traffic, I'm thinking, why are you driving? Why are you uh, dragging your trolley in the middle of the road? These guys are such an inconvenience. That is my heart. I don't know about your heart. You guys are godly. Uh, so you actually see them. Uh, Jesus would hang around those guys, particularly as Luke presents him, uh, as a man who hangs around uh, the poor. He would, I don't know if you see, if you drive around a spa just behind during lunchtime, uh, those workers hanging around there having their lunch, um, chicken feed and just a piece of bread. Jesus would be there. That's the Jesus um, of the Bible. And I think it is shocking because when I think of um, Jesus, uh, I think you'd be, I don't know, at, at a church or something. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He's coming to call uh, sinners um, to himself. But like the Pharisees, I think we, we think Jesus wants people who are rough diamonds. Um, you know what a rough diamond is? It has great potential. Um, just hit it on around the edges and it will be perfect. Um, these are the guys who probably went to the right schools with the right um, credit score, um, who don't cuss or anything like that. They just need a few tweaks uh, and then they'll be all right uh, to enter God's kingdom. The Jesus of the Bible doesn't do that. He hangs around tax collectors and sinners. These are the people that he wants to bring into his kingdom. The kind of people that I wouldn't want hanging around my boy because they have a foul mouth. Those are the people that Jesus uh, came for. The kind of people who have questionable jobs uh, and are tenderpreneurs and are chowing money from poor people. Those are the kind of people that Jesus came for. The alcoholic Jesus came for. Those are the ones, I don't know, that work at... That strip club, I don't know what it's called. Those are the ones that Jesus came for. Because Jesus came uh, for sinners to bring them to himself. He came for the porn addict. Amen. He came for the guy who's cheating on his wife. That one who is angry at traffic and wants to kill somebody. That is who Jesus came for. That is the Jesus um, of the Bible. One who's compassionate towards sinners. One who wants to bring them uh, in to his kingdom. He came for those who are rich, the CEOs uh, and the cleaners. He came for just about everybody. Now in our minds, I think we have categories um, of the kind of people who deserve entrance into God's kingdom, but not so with the God of the Bible. Not so with Jesus. As he steps into the scene, he hangs around sinners and tax collectors. Just a few years ago, I think it's two years ago, we did a series called Meals with Jesus. I'd encourage you to listen because it unpacks Luke's gospel and looks at Jesus as he hangs around these different groups of people. So I'd encourage you to, um, to look at that. But why, why would Jesus um, do what he did? Um, I've, I read a, I'm recently reading a book by a guy called Craig Blom, Blomberg. Uh, and the, the book is called Contagious Holiness. Uh, and the, uh, the book uh, kind of looks at the three Gospels 
uh, and he, it looks at Jesus and his meals with the sinners uh, and tax collectors. This accusation that Jesus is a friend of, uh, of sinners. And what Blomberg does is that he recognizes that in the ministry of Jesus, the Pharisees thought, well, if you are a holy person, if you hang around sinners, they contaminate you. They make you dirty. They make you impure. But what does Jesus do when he hangs around sinners? His holiness is contagious. Uh, it rubs off on the people that he hangs around. Listen to what he says, a quote from this book. Jesus regularly associates with various sorts of sinners on whom the most religious in his culture frowned. But his association is never an end in itself. Jesus doesn't just hang around uh, to party for the sake of it. Uh, let's get that idea from our heads. Implicitly or explicitly, he is calling people to change their ways and follow him as master. Let me say that again because it is so key to Jesus coming into Midrand. He is calling people to change their ways and follow him as master. I think we can put it this way. He's calling Midrand to change his ways and follow him as master. Amen. Is that what you want for Midrand? Um, I long to see that uh, for Midrand. Uh, people turning away from their sins and their autonomy and uh, bowing to Jesus um, as king and as Lord. Come back with me to verses uh, 17 of Matthew. This is his message as he steps uh, into uh, his culture. Let me pick it up from verse 16. The people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light. And for those dwelling in the region uh, and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. This is the picture that we see in the Gospels. Um, again, in December, Sitle uh, Tulo preached a message from, uh, from this particular section. I'd encourage you to listen to that uh, on light coming into our world. It is the message of, of Christmas. It is the message of Jesus who steps into a world filled with darkness. Uh, and that's not referring to ESCOM, right? Darkness is the brokenness and sin of our world. Jesus steps into that in fulfillment of an Old Testament prophecy. Verse 17, he comes preaching. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That was the message um, of Jesus. Mark, who probably wrote before Matthew, this is what he says. Uh, please uh, turn over to Mark chapter 1, page 836. Mark chapter 1, verse 15, um, again summarizes the message of Jesus um, to, um, that he went around preaching. I'll pick it up from verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee, proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. Notice the two things there. One, he's telling us about the reality of the kingdom. Um, Jesus is here, meaning God's kingdom is breaking in. Uh, and we see that in the life of Jesus. The kingdom of God is breaking in. Uh, so the reality of the kingdom and the expected response. Now, how do we capture this whole idea 
uh, that the, of the kingdom of God, repentance and believing in the gospel. Um, well, this idea stems from the fact that you and I have not placed God as king over our lives. Uh, we are the gods of our lives. We are the kings of our lives. When Jesus comes in, he calls us to repent from that. To repent is to turn away from your way of life and to trust him. That is what Jesus is calling us away from. Um, I remember when I was young and um, my parents, I, I think I was a naughty child. I don't remember. Um, I think I was. Um, but whenever we were naughty, they would hurl insults at us, uh, some of which I'm not going to utter this, uh, this evening because they were very tribalist. Um, they called us other, ra- other tribes, <laughs> and that was offensive, um, but that's tribalist, right? We're not going to go there. Uh, but one of the things that they used to say was, Waiting on a gwen, waitaola. And I don't know how to capture the meaning of that, but it, it was a, a heavy uh, message that you are basically the god of your own, um, I don't know, you, you, are, your own, you are a law unto yourself. Um, you are in control of your life. And that's, it was both a statement and a warning that if you continue along that path, bad things are going to happen. Um, that's a slippery road um, to go down. And I think that's a picture and a summary of, of the message of Jesus, that we are a law unto ourselves. And if we go down that route, it's going to result um, in, in danger. And Jesus was reminding these people, uh, saying that the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God has broken in, uh, therefore turn away from being the God uh, of your own life. Turn away to Jesus and embrace him as Lord and as king. Let him come into your life and come to rearrange the furniture of your life. Just invite him in to rearrange and say, man, I don't like that couch there. I think you should move it just uh, to the left. Who told you that those curtains, those orange curtains were a great idea? I think those need to come down. Amen. Jesus would come through Uh, and do that for us, and rearrange, and say, put away that ugly vase in your life. And I wonder what that is uh, for your own life. Put it away, uh, repent, uh, and believe the gospel. Just last year, this idea of rearranging furniture, um, my wife and I decided we had been staying in our house for like three years, and the tiles were old, the place was old, Uh, It looked sad, Uh, and we wanted to uh, just liven it up a bit and renovate it. Uh, So I thought to myself, man, let me impress my wife and take initiative. Let me call uh, somebody who knows what he's talking about. Uh, So I uh, spoke to our property manager here at church. I'm not going to say his name. Uh, If you know him, you know him. Um, If you don't, it's fine. He's an old man. Uh, And I love him because he's so honest and blunt. So I'm like, uh, uncle, please come over to my house and just give me an honest opinion about my place. So he comes through around lunchtime and, and, and he goes in and says, oh my goodness, that staircase, I don't know who built it, but I think they, it was an afterthought uh, because it seems like they just slapped it onto, uh, onto the house because they saw that you can't actually go upstairs. It's ugly and old. Uh, so you need to do something about it. And that mirror, you put it just 
in line with the stairs. So it's actually reflecting on the ugliness of it. So it's ugly. You need to change that. And so just picture this uh, with me. As he's saying those things, my wife, who doesn't have the context of our conversation, uh, comes in into this. That, that couch is, 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 is dark, it's ugly, it's chunky. This furniture is old, these tiles are ugly. And she comes in and she's shocked because she didn't have the context uh, of uh, our conversation before. Um, but I think um, I love the honesty <laughs> Because um, I'm, I'm struggling not to say his name. I don't want to expose him. Um, but he gave me an honest feedback about my place. And I think one of the things that Jesus does uh, is that as he comes into our lives, uh, he comes to rearrange our furniture. He says things that are hurtful, uh, that are painful, but things that you and I need to hear. Uh, and he tells us to rearrange the furniture of our life. And if you believe that he's actually for you and not against you, you are going to take his words uh, as uh, words that are good for you and not words that are harmful. If you understand the context of the conversation, uh, you will actually realize that it's out there for your good uh, and not to harm you. As he comes in and says, man, I don't like your spending habits. I don't like uh, that person that you're dating because I think um, they're leading you into a life of sin. I think you need to get rid of that relationship. Perhaps that's some of the things that Jesus uh, would say to you. Um, perhaps you would say that, man, I don't like the way you treat people at your office space. Whatever the case may be, when Jesus comes into your life, when he comes to Midran and has that coffee with you, it's painful uh, because his words are countercultural. Uh, his words are there um, to uh, just kind of nudge us uh, to not be in a place where we are king and lords. Of our lives. But one of the things I love about Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, is that he doesn't just say to you, go change your ways. He empowers you to do so. So as we look at the various things that Jesus picks up, let us be always reminded that Jesus, by him dying on the cross for us, has provided a way for us to actually obey the things that he calls us to. He doesn't just say, pull yourself by your bootstraps. He gives you the power uh, to conquer the sin that is calling you uh, to, um, to walk away from. So I do hope that you will join us, uh, pick up your orange leaflet, and see some of the things that we are uh, looking at. Next week, we'll be discussing Jesus and our hustle, um, Jesus and money. Um, as we live in Joburg, um, as we live in Midland, I think one of the things that um, we are about as a culture is hustling. We're just out there um, to make money, if you come from outside of Johannesburg, Gauteng, you come to Joburg to do what? Get a job, hustle, to put food on your table, drive a GTI. <laughs> um, and then we realize, yo, that's, that stuff is expensive. Then we move to Midrand uh, because it's way more affordable. We drive the GTI, we don't buy the furniture. Um, does Jesus actually have anything to say about that um, to us? Does Jesus have anything? Is he against our hustle? Uh, is he for it? Uh, what does he think um, of that? So that's what we are doing next week. We're hanging around with him at the Live Grand Cafe, and we're discussing all things to do with money. Amen. But before we end off, uh, two questions just to leave with you. One, if Jesus were to come to your life, what furniture would he rearrange?
just um, take that as a question. Secondly, if you were to truly believe that Jesus is out there for your good and not to harm you, how would that transform what you think about his word? I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you for Jesus, that he was real, that he walked our world, that he came um, to bring sinners to himself. As we look at our own lives, um, we realize that we are those sinners. And Father, I do pray that we would not build an idea of this Christ that is not in line with your word. I pray that you would help us to realize that, yes, he came for sinners, uh, but hanging out with them was not uh, the end in of itself, but that he was bringing them to, um, towards you, um, to repent and believe in you, uh, to change their ways, our ways, uh, and to put you as master and king of our lives. As we look at Midrand, uh, we know that there's so many sinners uh, per square kilometer because it's a city, uh, yet it is a city that you love. Um, so we do pray, Father, uh, that you would stretch out your hand and save people, that you'd give us hearts uh, for those people, um, to invite them to church, uh, to have Bible studies with them, um, to be courageous in sharing this good news of Jesus and calling them to repentance. Uh, so tonight we thank you and pray that um, we would chew on this um, idea of who you are uh, and would be blown away by your grace and mercy to us as a culture. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen.